Aubrey, Donna, and Jenny and Paul. Appreciate you leading us and directing our hearts through a powerful medium of music. And, uh, let's uh, open your Bibles now, if you would please, to John chapter one. And uh, even as that song talked about, uh, God presents Himself to us, uh, helps us to understand who he is, and, and calls us to follow him then in the things that he is doing. And um, as we've been working our way through uh, this first chapter of, of the Gospel of John, uh, we've, we've seen God presented as, or Jesus presented as who he is, as, as God, as the promised Messiah. Um, so many amazing things that, that have been shown to us about Jesus. And, and in this last section that we began last week, and Lord willing, we'll finish this week, um, we, we had Jesus calling uh, his first disciples to, to come and follow him. Maybe a, kind of an initial call to come and, and to know him. And uh, he, he comes to all of us, each of us in different circumstances, doesn't he? Uh, we're not all in the exact same place when we say yes to Jesus, when we choose to follow him, or when he extends that, that call, come, come follow me. And, and we saw that in, in the earlier verses, um, in that he was calling to, to John and Andrew. They'd already been following John the Baptist. They'd been hearing his message of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then when they heard, as he pointed to Jesus, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. They transferred, they went, did just exactly what they should have done. Then they quit following John the Baptist, and they followed Jesus. And remember, Jesus then gives them that invitation when they say, Well, where are you staying? He says, Well, come, come and see. And so he, he met them at that place. But then Andrew goes and finds his brother Peter, right? So Peter is brought by someone else and says, hey, we found him. We found the Messiah. We found the Christ. And he approaches him in a little bit of a different way, and he says, yeah, your name is Simon, but you will be known as Peter or Rock. In other words, I'm going to change you. Your encounter with me, you're following me. I have a place for you. And you're no longer going to be just one who hears, which is kind of the basic meaning behind the word, the name Simon. You're going to become a rock. You're going to become someone who's solid and stable. And, and you know, looking ahead, you look at what Peter was like. He wasn't, wasn't really all that stable when he first came to Jesus, was he? Or even for a while. But Jesus was going to change him so that he would be known as rock, as one who is stable. And then Jesus, remember last week, he found Philip. He went into, chose, chose to go into Galilee. And going into Galilee, he found Philip and said, follow me. And Philip did, but, but immediately going, he thought of his good friend, Nathaniel. And that's where we left off last week. Jesus interacting with these people where they were at and, and using them to, to connect with others, very purposefully drawing people to himself. And so follow along with me, if you would, as I read verses 45 through 51 of John chapter 1. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming and said to him, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Philip finds Nathanael. Well, who is this Nathanael anyway? It's interesting, the name Nathanael is not in any of the other Gospels. So how do, what was he, the mystery disciple? Well, he's known as, in those, those Gospels, Bartholomew. Now you figure that out just by comparing the lists, and the person that's always matched up with Philip is Bartholomew. Bartholomew actually is more of, we would call it a surname or a last name. If you're familiar with Hebrew names or Jewish names, Bar means son of, right? So he is son of Ptolemy, Bartholomew, okay? And so apparently they called him, you could say, by his last name all the time, you know? So it'd be like, you know, Johnson or, you know, just calling you by your last name. But his, his given name or his personal name would have been Nathaniel, gift of God, or God has given. So he's Nathaniel, son of Tolmai. And again, he's only mentioned in the other Gospels in the lists of people. And if John hadn't written this Gospel 60 years after these events happened, we wouldn't know really anything about Nathaniel. He comes from Cana. We find that out from toward the end of the book when they all go fishing and it tells who goes fishing. Uh, Nathaniel from Cana is mentioned as one of them. And so we have a great blessing because this short little section is just packed with truth about Jesus in the interaction that Jesus has with Nathaniel. And Philip comes and he says, we have found him. We have found him, verse 45, whom Moses and the law also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It's, it's a big deal. It's, I don't think he said that, oh, we found him. No. This was, these, these men were looking for the Messiah, for the anointed one, for the prophesied one, as we talked about in the past, the, the prophet. And it indicates here again an understanding from all the scriptures that they were, they were expecting one. And here, here Philip talks about Moses and all the prophets. It indicates that these men who were not professional scholars, they were not rabbis, they weren't priests, but they knew the Old Testament scriptures. And going through those, they'd, been, they'd figured it out. God had promised one who was coming 
They were expecting a Messiah. And he says, we have found him, Nathaniel. He's here now. So it's just strongly implied that these working men spent time in God's word. They loved God's word. And it wasn't just something that they looked at from time to time, but it impacted their lives and they had expectations based on what they'd learned. And I challenge you, whatever role in life you have, be digging into God's word. We still have things to be expecting, don't we? Do we know well what to be expecting next and why and what it should look like? If not, we have a lesson to learn from these men who fishermen, and, and we don't know what Nathaniel did for sure. Maybe he was a farmer. But they knew the, the word, and they didn't, they didn't have access to it like we do. They didn't have copies of the Bible at home. They probably had to go to the synagogue. They had to listen to the rabbis teach, and then think and meditate on that. Well, Nathaniel hears that this, this Messiah, the one that's been found, is from Nazareth. And you can just hear that there's some doubt about all this. From Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The beginning of verse 46. Now, it was from Cana, we said, right? Which is about 10 miles north as the crow flies from, from Nazareth. Interesting, Galilee was Galilee of the Gentiles to the rest of the Jews. But even the people in Galilee looked down on the people from Nazareth. It's just, you know, those, those kind of prejudices, those, those ideas we have about certain places, right? And we think where we're from is a little better, you know? So he, he was from the smaller town of Cana, but he's like, mm, yeah, it's kind of like being from Cardwell and maybe your opinion of Butte, okay? <laughs> Be careful. Because really, Nathaniel wasn't one of his good points here. But he seems to be the kind of person that just honestly says what he's thinking. Just came, how can the Messiah come out of Nazareth, really? God makes it clear that you can't judge Jesus by his associates. You can't judge Jesus by the people he's with. And that'll continue, right? Because he'll hang out with tax collectors and people that are called sinners. And people today sometimes judge Jesus by his associates, right? Well, I can't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, that's the kind of people Jesus hangs out with. Sinners. Don't judge him by his associates or where he's at or who, who he saves. He, he'll even save you. He'll even give you new life. And it's interesting that the reply that Philip gives him he doesn't try to defend Nazareth. He doesn't say, oh, well, Nazareth isn't that bad. He doesn't even try to explain that Jesus is so wonderful. He does something maybe we need to do more often. He just says, well, come and see. Come and see. See him for yourself. Know him, what he's like. And I think a person who truly believes in Jesus, maybe that's really a good thing for us to do. It's, it's good to have an answer. We're commanded in Scripture to have an answer for the hope that's in us. But I think sometimes we need to do, like Philip did, say, just come and see Jesus. Come check him out for yourself. See how he matches up to what was predicted about him. See how he is. Just come and know him for yourself. 
And so he goes to see Jesus, and, and it's great the way this happens. Jesus saw, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. An interesting thing to say, isn't it? Now, he's not saying that Nathanael is without sin. As a matter of fact, I think he's saying something here that we, we just kind of pass over. For one thing, he's talk, he says an Israelite. He didn't say a Jew. Because I think he was zeroing in on the person of Israel or Jacob. Behold, a descendant of Israel, a descendant of Jacob. But he doesn't say a descendant of Jacob. He says a descendant of Israel, right? One, one person has translated this. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Stop and think about who Israel is. I mean, the people of Israel were descended from Abraham, yes. But then there were other people descended from Abraham, right? But then Isaac was the, the, the child of promise, and so the line comes down through Isaac, and Isaac's son Jacob and Esau. Well, the descendants of Esau were the Edomites, but they weren't, they weren't the chosen people. But the Israelites were. And out of Israel came 12 sons from whom were the 12 tribes. Okay? And so here Israel, well, where'd that name Israel come from? Well, because the man who we, is known as Israel started out as Jacob, right? Jacob means what? A supplanter or deceitful person? Somebody who's trying to grasp, right? He was born holding on to his brother's heel, right? And then he tricked his father to get the birthright. He, he, he had this epic battle with his father-in-law, Laban, as they both tried to kind of trick each other out of uh, flocks and herds. I mean, that was just the characteristic of Jacob, right? He was a deceitful, tricky person. Seems maybe what Jesus is getting at here is, behold, a descendant of Israel. Because remember that, that incident where Jacob was headed back home after he'd gone through all the stuff with Laban? And that night before he crosses over into to the same land, spends the night wrestling with a man that had confronted him. And they wrestle through the night, and finally the sun's about to rise, and the man puts his hip out of joint, right? And he just grabs off for all he can and says, I won't release you unless you bless me. And that's when he changes his name to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. And the accounts of, of Israel are very different than the accounts of Jacob. We don't see all of that. Not that he was perfect, but in a sense, there's a new man there. And so there's a sense which I think what he's getting at, and there's more, this will fit together maybe better in a, little, in a few minutes, so just give me a little time. But saying, you are a descendant of Israel, not a deceiver, what you believe, it's, it's there. What you think, you say it. And was he accurate in his description? Well, I think that Nathaniel thought so because he said, 
how do you know me? He's describing Nathaniel's character. He's somebody, he's just out there, right? He thought about Nazareth and thought, hmm, how can anything good come from there? It just, he's straightforward. There's an honesty about him. He's not trying to trick anybody. What he says is what he means. And Jesus nails his character so completely that he says, how do you know me? And he uses a word there that doesn't mean just know who I am, but it means experiential knowledge. How is it that you know me as a person? He he gets into Nathaniel's thought processes in a way that makes him pay attention. He's like, oh, there's something going on here. And then then as we continue on, this whole whole passage is kind of a little bit, bit puzzling because Jesus says little things and Nathaniel has big reactions, right? And so, verse 28, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Um, Literally, I knew you in a a sense, but it is used for to see every once in a while. But there's a little bit more going on here. And this this phrase, I saw you under the fig tree, is left unexplained, but I think it may have been completely clear to those who originally read this. It was obviously very significant to Nathaniel. So let's first spend a little bit of time talking about a fig tree. You want to go ahead and put up a picture of the fig tree? A fig tree was a key thing in the land of Israel, and it was a symbol of of life. I'm just going to flip back to 2 Kings 18.31. And we have here in 2 Kings 18.31... A discre- or a, a, an incident where the Assyrians are attacking Jerusalem. And they're trying to convince the people of Jerusalem to surrender and to give in to them. And here, Rabshakeh, who is, is speaking on behalf of the king of Assyria, says this, Do not listen to Hezekiah, that's the king of Israel, or of, of Judah, says, For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me, and eat each of his vine and under his fig tree, and drink each of the waters of his own cistern. In other words, this idea of being under your own fig tree, it meant be at home, in your own place, in your place of comfort, in your place of contentment, your place of quiet and refuge. In fact, that same way is used in Micah 4.4. I'm not going to turn there. You can look at that on your own. But it's looking ahead to the millennial kingdom. And it talks about how it will be so good for Israel, for each man will be able to sit under his own vine and fig tree. It has this picture that here's the place of contentment, here is the place where you're really, truly at home. And it seems to have been under the fig tree was, and and, the fig tree could grow huge. And you would plant them near your home because for one thing, they produced a great fruit, something that you could use for your family. 
but also in that hot Middle Eastern sun, it provides a place of shade to help keep the house cool. And it provides a place to go out and a place of refuge, you could say. Inside the little uh, homes they would have, they would do the cooking and it would be filled with smoke and all kinds of things. But you could go outside, be under the fig tree, enjoy the shade, and that would be your place of escape, you might say, a place of quiet. And it was also known as a place of prayer. And so we have to ask ourselves, did the original readers of this say, oh, well, yeah, Nathaniel was out under his fig tree. He was praying. He was meditating on Scripture. He was having a time with God alone. I think that's pretty likely. Can't say that for sure. But that seems to be very likely. Nathaniel had been talking to God. And as much as, as Philip says, we have found him, the one talked about in Scripture, I think he knew his, his Scriptures pretty well, and maybe he was meditating on passages. I, I think it's likely he was meditating on the, the life of Jacob, of Israel, which I think is one of the reasons why he said, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Well, I don't know absolutely for sure, but that makes sense to me. And later on, Jesus is going to introduce another incident out of Jacob or Israel's life in verse 51. So it seems to be there's this connection with Jacob. Maybe he was sitting there thinking, who is this man, Jacob or Israel, that you made this whole nation out of, who fathered the, the heads of all our tribes and, and the things that you did in his life and, and how you, you worked? Maybe he was pondering when the Messiah would come. Maybe he'd ask God, show me, show me what you're doing. Because Jesus saying, I saw you under the fig tree, shouldn't have elicited such a strong response if that's all he meant. I mean, Nathaniel's no dummy. Well, you saw me under the fig tree, big, big deal. Anybody could have seen me out there under, the, under a fig tree. Something clicked with him. You know, you know what I was talking to God about. You know what I was thinking about. You're, you got in my head, so to speak. And he's like, oh, you aren't just anyone. In fact, he makes a dramatic declaration, verse 49, when he says, Rabbi or teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. If he just said, I happened to see you as I was passing by you or under the fig tree, it doesn't match. He understood the conversation, the things that were going on in Nathaniel's mind with the Lord. And he calls him son of God. Now, it could be, in, in verse 34, we see John the Baptist having said, I testify that this one is the son of God. Maybe he'd heard that testimony. But maybe... Maybe since if he was thinking about Jacob, had been meditating on Jacob's life, maybe he was thinking of that man who wrestled with Jacob, who turned out to be God in human form. It was then that God changed his name to Israel. And afterwards, after that happened, here are some things that Jacob, then named Israel, said. I have seen God face face, yet my life has been preserved. 
this one that wrestled with Israel. In a sense, was he now standing in front of Nathanael? He says, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, Nathanael is a descendant of Israel, right? An Israelite. But here he says, you are the King of Israel. He recognizes that Jesus is far more than just a man, even far more than just a prophet. But at the very least, he's saying, you are the promised Messiah, the promised ultimate king who is going to come. It could be that there's a connection here with with the blessing that Jacob or Israel placed on his son Judah in Genesis 49.10. Remember he said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, one of the very first prophecies, right? So out of the mouth of Jacob. The king of Israel fulfills, would fulfill that very early prophecy. Or is it more like Isaiah? Maybe he was familiar. Turn with me to Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8. And certainly, if, if, if he was thinking of this passage, then the declaration he made, if anything, was maybe not strong enough. He says, Thus says the Lord, that's the, his name, Yahweh, or I am, the King of Israel. And his Redeemer, the Lord, or Yahweh, of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and there is No God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the nation. And let let them declare to them the things that are coming. Oh, who can tell what's going to happen in the future? Only God. Continuing, and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me, or is there any other rock? I know of none. Is that what Nathaniel was thinking about when he said the the king of Israel? The king of Israel here described as almighty, eternal God himself? I think if that's the case, Nathaniel was trembling as he said those words realizing this man knows my thoughts. This man is more than just a man. What does this mean about Jesus? Jesus, wow, he needs to be followed, right? He needs to be the one that Nathaniel now gives his whole life to. But then there's another great declaration. If we go back to, to John again, and this time it's from Jesus. He hears the words that, that Nathaniel has to say. And Jesus, verse 50, said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. This is just the beginning, in other words. And he says what he says next to not just Nathaniel, because he switches from the singular you to the plural you. And he said to him, truly I say to y'all, right? 
Y'all will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I was asked last week, what what about Philip? What did he say to Philip? Well, here's some of what he said to Philip. This was to those who had started following him now. And he broadens the response to include them so that they would would get in on this, you could say, really a deep lesson here in understanding. And he refers to a dream Remember that Jacob had. And I know we're running a little short on time, but please indulge me for a minute and turn to Genesis 28 because there's so much there. 28, I'm going to read verses 12 through 22. Here as he's traveling away to, to go and... Uh, to his uncle, he says, He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth and its t- with its top reaching to heaven. This is speaking of Jacob. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants." Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. This is important. Listen carefully. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He reiterates that promise that was given to Abraham and Isaac. Now verse 15, Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, Then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you gave me, I will surely give you a tenth. Jesus' response to Nathanael's declaration clearly goes back to Jacob, the angels coming up and down, right? It's an experience that overwhelmed Jacob and caused him to say, God is in this place. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he said, Lord, if you care for me, bring me back again. You, Yahweh, will be my God. Jesus is saying to Nathanael and to the others, I'm the fulfillment of what happened to Jacob there. He seems to be saying, this is the place Now, Bethel is not the place. It's not the house of God. You could say, I am. I am the way between heaven and earth. I am 
God, God in human flesh. I am the fulfillment of what, what Israel just symbolized. And with me, you could say the angels come and go. Connect with me. He's the reason for Nathaniel to reaffirm his belief in the one true God and to believe in his son. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Jacob saw there. But not only that, you notice Jesus threw in one more term that we need to look at. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on who? The Son of Man. And John, the apostle who's writing this, makes sure he brings in Jesus' words here to give us one more look at who this man Jesus is before we take off into the rest of the book. So let's go back to the origin of this, this term that Jesus, here for the first time in, God's, in John's gospel, uses about himself. Let's go back to Daniel, chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14. And here in the middle of, of uh, Daniel's vision of the four beasts, it culminates really here in verses 13 and 14. 14. And he says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So we have this son called the son of man, or a son of man, presented to who the Ancient of Days we would know as God the Father. And to Him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men from every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." Introduced here at the end of, of these visions that talk about all of the, the empires that are going to happen from Daniel's day forward, says the one who is called Son of Man is an eternal king. The king whose reign will never end, who will reign over people of every language, every part of the earth. And Jesus says, Who's going to be descending? Angels. Who are they descending and ascending on? The Son of Man. The one who is going to be the ultimate ruler. The one who will have everlasting rulership or dominion over everyone. John wants us to know that. He wants us to know that, that whether we're just beginning to follow Jesus like these men were, or whether we've followed Him for many, many years, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these great prophecies that have made, been made in God's word over the centuries to this point. He is the coming king. In fact, he has been, John's saying at this point, he has come. He is the ultimate ruler. And like John the Baptist said, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world absolute necessity to have a relationship with him. That's what he's getting at. You can't just pass this by and say, oh, there's an interesting teacher. No, he's not just a rabbi. He's not just a person with some interesting theories about God. 
Again, we're being told before we really get very far into this gospel, this, in fact, is God. This is the one. You need to live your life accordingly. First of all, come, you need to put your faith in him. You need to put your life in his hands. You need to be overwhelmed with the truth of who he is and have it totally reorder your life. You ready for the rest of the story? That's just the beginning. Let's pray. Father, help us to not be able to handle what you've recorded for us here in John's gospel. Please cause it to shake us up, uh, bowl us over, make us realize that we have relationship with Almighty God through Jesus if we will believe. And if we have believed, uh, help us to open our eyes more fully to know just what that means. That it's not just, it's not religion, it's a relationship with an infinite, all-powerful God who has our future in his hands and knows what absolutely what's best for us. Help us to fully glorify you more and more each day. Uh, looking for that time when ultimately we will see you face to face. Thank you that, that we have that even possibility because of what Jesus has done in dying for us. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.